Welcome back to the Two Scene Podcast. This episode will be hosting former relief pitcher Manny Del Carmen, who was with the Red Sox from 2005 to 2010. He was a key contributor to the 2007 World Series champions, posting a 2.05 ERA and solidifying the back end of the bullpen ahead of Jonathan Papelbon. He's also the first player in 34 years to have been drafted by and to play for the Red Sox after attending Boston Public Schools. So it'll be really interesting to hear his perspective on what it was like playing for his hometown team and walking us through that magical 2007 World Series year. Thanks for listening. Hey, hey Manny. Up, How you doing? Hey, I'm doing all right. You know, as best we can with all this craziness going on. Yeah, same here. <laughs> yeah. You guys staying safe? Just hanging in? Yeah, trying to. Yeah. Trying to keep the kids busy and, you know, can't really do much outside, so. Yeah, I hear you. First of all, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I just think people really like hearing, you know, old Red Sox players, like, reminisce and give their perspective of, you know, what it was like with the team and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, you say you work with the Sox, I mean, once you get a taste of Boston, you know, it's, and the Red Sox, it's, uh, it kind of keeps you want to, you know, doing stuff active. You know, around the game itself, but uh, no, but Bronson, I saw him, uh, I think last year in Fort Myers, which is pretty cool. And um, no, but I like it, man. Once you told me that idea, I thought it'd be fun, and I'm happy to help. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. So we'll uh, we'll start it off. How you molded into a major leaguer, getting drafted and whatnot. You were a guest on one other podcast or radio show, and uh, I didn't know this before, but your dad played some pro ball with the Phillies. Yeah, back in the '70s, so. Which is, uh, you know, we've always been a baseball family. You know, my brother played in college. My sister was actually a pretty good athlete, like softball. And my dad would tell you as a kid that she could probably throw the ground ball better than me and my brother. <laughs> and, um, man, we were always baseball-oriented, which is pretty cool. And, you know, my dad never made it to the big leagues. But, I mean, obviously I made it one step further than he did, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I'd say so. So, you know, having a, a father that played professional baseball, how did seeing your dad go to games and whatnot, just growing up in that type of environment, like kind of groom you and shape your dream to become a major leaguer? I mean, for the most part, it was, uh, you know, I mean, I was born in the city, you know, back in the day was, you know, I, I go to the city now and don't even recognize half of it, of all the, you know, new buildings and new apartment buildings all over know, the place. Always but. changing. Yeah, it's a, I mean, changing for the better. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, you know, my dad was a auto mechanic for 30 years. Uh, you know, my mom worked two jobs, so, you know, they worked as hard as they could to get, obviously give us, you know, the best life that they could. Uh-huh. And for me, it was just, you know, like our thing was always baseball, man. My best friends playing, all my friends playing. You know, we still got the same group of friends that I did back then today. But, um, you know, my parents did a really good job being able to, to take us to all of our practices, you know, be there for all of my games, you know, not only for me, but for my brother and my sister. And, you know, so like I said, we're always baseball oriented, you know, so I knew baseball for me was always what I wanted to do. You know, I wasn't, I was like the monkey in the middle, you can say, and huh. out of all the three kids, you know, my sister was a honor roll student. My brother's an honor roll student. I'm the monkey in the middle with a, you know, B minus average, C plus average. Not to bad, get by not play bad. Baseball. It wasn't <laughs> bad. I mean, you know, it's, I always say if I can go back, I know I, I, I could have done better. That's okay. But, um, you know, they got us in the right direction. I mean, taking us from park to park. I mean, I knew baseball was always my passion. And, 
you know, all the way through high school, it was, you know, I always said I wanted to be a Red Sox, and my dream was to make it with the Red Sox. And so once I got drafted, I mean, it kind of went from there. I was doing a little reading before this, and um, you are the pride of Hyde Park. You know, I'm not right from Boston, just Boston area, but tell me the significance of Hyde Park and why you're considered that. Well, for me, I mean, it's like I said, I was, you know, born in the city in Boston. I mean, Hyde Park is obviously one of the, you know, one of the towns in, like I, try, I like to say, in Boston. You know, you have Dedham, Dorchester, Mattapan. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in Hyde Park through high school, which I went to Rest Roxbury High. And, um, you know, and the name stuck with me, man. I, people, <laughs> I, I still walk the streets and people are like, hey, that's the Hyde Park kid, you know, HP kid. And, really? That's you know, awesome. it just stuck with me. And I take pride in it, you know, just because, you know, I think I was the first kid in like, 40 or 50 years to get drafted out of the city and actually make it, you know, with the yeah. hometown team. So, you know, obviously, you know, you know, we'll get into it. But once I got traded a little bit, it kind of got traded to Colorado, kind of stung a little bit, you right. know, when I got traded. But, um, but I mean, it, I mean, it is what it is, but it's, uh, you know, it's a privilege and honor to be able to be the local boy from the city and still have a lot of kids, you know, look up to me. And I, even right now, I'm still trying to do some things. And, you know, with my best friend that I, told you about grew up in the city with me and we're trying to open a baseball academy actually in Hyde Park right now really that's awesome I didn't know that so more more academics than baseball but I mean I have the Red Sox foundation um you know I got some uh a company called charity teams that they work with the Boston Marathon so I got a few runners raising money which obviously puts a a little hold on everything because with everything going on right now and I said 2020 was going to be our year, and then you know this con, you know, coronavirus stuff right now. It's kind of put everything on pause. But I mean, obviously, it's for the better, and you know, mm-hmm. hopefully, we get through this, you know, sooner than later. Yeah, exactly. Well, whenever we get through that, that's going to be you know awesome once it gets you know off and running. Um, okay, so you know your feature on that radio show, you were talking a little bit about you know your high school progression. You said freshman year, you came in at. What was it, 5'5", five, five, like 105 pounds, something like that? Yeah, I was nervous, man, because, I mean, growing up, you know, I was through hard. I was skinny. Like, I, my son's 12 years old right now. He reminds me so much of me because I was, you know, skinny that way, and I, and I had abs, and I tell him all the time, I was like, you can eat whatever you want right now, but you're going to get taller, and, and the pounds will stick to you. But, yeah, my freshman year in high school, I was about five, five and a half, 108 pounds. You know, it's, oh, I always threw hard, and then... You know, my sophomore year, I was five, five and a half, 120 pounds. And then my brother, my brother was catching up to me in height. You know, I was like the whole time I'm like, man, I'm going to be small. You know, I got this great arm and I'm going to be small. And then after my sophomore year, I went from five, five and a half, 120 to about six feet, 185. Just in one summer. In one summer. And people are like, you know, and obviously you grow and you don't really notice it. And other people are like, dude, what did you do? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I, you know, I, you know, I matured a little bit later, but it's, uh, you know, I went to six feet, 185 and I was through hard, you know, my junior year, I was probably topping out. I want to say maybe, you know, 89 to 90, 91, maybe. And that's when, and then that's when scouts were kind of. You know, coming around the games and stuff like that, a few scouts, and then by my senior year, I think I had maybe 20 out of the 30 teams, and I was, you know, 93, 94, but I think it, once I hit that growth spurt, it was, you know, it definitely filled me out a little bit and definitely held my arm out. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, so, you know, from there, you get drafted by the Red Sox, second round, right? Yep. All right, second round, 
and then you spend a little bit of time in the ma in the minor leagues. Can you just tell me about kind of what that progression was and your journey from getting drafted to you know making your mark with the Red Sox? Yeah, it was uh, you know obviously probably the best day of my life. I would say just because yeah. you know to get drafted by the you know by the the team that you want and then being my hometown team, you know it was more more special than anything. But um, of course, but yeah, I mean my first year, I mean I signed really late. You know, the draft was in June. I didn't sign until August. You know, the Red Sox were, were playing hardball back and forth with contract-wise, and I actually missed the rest of the summer, and I ended up signing late. So my first oh, wow. professional my first professional experience was uh, the Instructional League in Fort Myers. And, um, you know, the next year I was still in rookie ball, was pitcher of the year. Then 2002, I was in Augusta, Georgia with the Green Jackets, you know, put up pretty good numbers, and... You know, I was one of the top prospects in the organization. And then, obviously, 2003 came around and started off really well. Ended up getting hurt and having Tommy John in 2003. So, that's if I had to pick a time where it was the most difficult to try to beat adversity and get through stuff, was through Tommy John. And Tommy John was definitely a tough surgery. But, I mean, I came back stronger than ever. Um, rehabbed all of 03, most of 04. And then went to the fall league in 04. And uh, but I went. At, I used to be a starter in the minors. Mm -hmm. So then when I went to the fall league, you know, for some reason after the rehab, you know, did really well with the rehab. I came back throwing, you know, like ninety five and up or ninety six and up miles an hour all the time. So in the fall league, they sent me in as a reliever, and mm -hmm. you know, it was the first time coming out of the pen, which I was never familiar with. But I would strike out the first two, then walk the next three, and then punch out the last guy for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> but I was still throwing hard and harder. So, they, uh, you know, so then after the fall league, I went to spring training. And, you know, halfway through spring training, I'm, I'm wondering why I'm not getting stretched out anymore like a starter. And then, uh, you know, we had Al Nipper and Ralph True, all the Red Sox coordinator guys. They're like, you're probably wondering why you're not throwing more than two innings right now. You know, we decided to make you a reliever, and we think you're going to make it to the big leagues faster than that, or quicker, being a reliever. And, you know, at the time, we just finished, uh, we signed, you know, we had Jonathan Papaval was a starter, John Lester was a starter, mm -hmm. uh, Clay Buckles was around, right around the corner. So, you know, but it worked out. I mean, once I became a reliever in 05, I went and started in AA, and went to AAA for a little bit, and then got called up in 05, so definitely did work got me a lot quicker to the big leagues yeah definitely worked but what was like your thought process like did you like did you not really invite that that news like you wanted to be a starter or was it kind of whichever way got you to the big leagues fastest well i think you, i think they you need to have that mentality of of a reliever not, not that you don't have to be really mentally tough as a starter but i mean i used to enjoy starting just because you knew you were throwing every five days mm -hmm. you had a routine you had a program you know what they throw your side work what kind of workouts you wanted to do as a reliever i mean once you get i mean in the minors they kind of not, not that they baby you but they prepare you to be a guy that can go multiple days multiple innings two days off get back on the rubber get back on the mound and as a starter, you know exactly when you're pitching, and I kind of like that routine as a starter in the minors. So I wasn't against it because, you know, they sat me down. They, they told me, dude, we loved you as a starter. You were pitcher of the year. Like, we know you can make it as a starter, but right now we think that you you can get to the big leagues a lot quicker as a reliever. And, you know, it worked out. I mean, it took me a while 
to be able to, you know, to to come out of the pen because as a starter, you know, you get out there, you play catch, you stretch. As a reliever, that phone rings and <laughs> you got to be ready in eight pitches. Right. You know, so it's it's, it's a different world. But, uh, you know, I was glad they did it and they got me to the big leagues and I enjoyed it. Yeah, exactly. You made the, a good adjustment, I'd say. And so you come up in 2005, make your debut, uh, and found some time in 2006. You know, you had some good outings and, you know, some to learn from. What would you say you took from those two years that when you got called up in 2007, you really, like, capitalized? Well, it's, uh, you know, 05 was my first year, and I remember, I think, Mike Timlin got hurt. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so I was up there longer than they probably anticipated a little bit. And, uh, you know, it was a good experience because, you know, Mike Timlin, I always, ta- I always tell people that he's the guy that took me under his wing and... You know, he taught me the ropes of how to get ready in the bullpen because I used to play catch with the outfielders, like, in between innings, like, every inning trying to get loose. And he goes, man, you can't do that. You're going to get tired. And um, so it was it was a, it was was a definitely a tough transition. But for the most part, I mean, I enjoyed, you know, just coming out of that pen, bases loaded. I mean, I had great numbers against the Yankees, against Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. you know, but just, just that adrenaline of coming in and, and, and being able to, to keep the game on the line and and get those and get those big outs were big. But at the same time, you know, you have your good games and you have your bad games. I mean, for the most part, I always wanted the ball whether I did good or bad the night before. And I think I was really known for that. And, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, you take the good with the bad, but obviously you learn. And, you know, the way baseball is today is a lot different than what it was back then when I was still playing. So it was, right. uh, it's, it's definitely different, but it's all good. Right. So, you know, obviously, 07 was special for you. It was special for us. You know, any World Series team is, you know, different in some way. From a player's perspective, what would you say, you know, kind of made that team championship worthy and, you know, separated you guys from the rest? Well, the thing is, the the 07 team, you know, gets overshadowed a little bit with the 04 team. Mm -hmm. And then, obviously, they win in 13 again. And then, obviously, the unbelievable season they had in 18. And 07, a lot of people say it kind of gets lost. But if we can can take the rosters from all the teams and play each other, I think we have a pretty good chance. I mean, our bullpen was, you know, was one of the best in the league. And... um, you know, but for the most part, you know, what I take out of it, it's, you know, you got a bunch of guys, whether you went up for one day or you were there all year or you were there a month, you know, fighting for the same goal. I mean, it's a long season, you know, we're away from our families to travel. Sometimes it's not easy going to the West Coast and, you know, but when you got guys trying to do the same thing and then you get to the playoffs and, you know, everybody wants to get to the playoffs and then, but you just played 162 games. So now this is where you got to bear down. And to see a bunch of guys trying to do the same thing and have the same goal and be able to, to win it all, it was an unbelievable feeling. And, uh, you know, and, and as you remember, 07, we were down 3-1 down to one against Cleveland. Right. And we came back and won, and it's, it was unbelievable. Yeah, so that's what I was going to follow up with. You know, 3-1 is a tough deficit to come back from. And can you share a little bit about when you were down 3-1? And, you know, I heard you give a little spiel about how Ryan Garko had some yeah. words to say that fired you guys up. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I mean, I, I contributed. I had, I had a bad game in Cleveland. I came in after, after Wakefield and, uh, 
and I ended up giving up a home run that I don't know how Peralta hit that ball off me. <laughs> but anyways, other than that, I mean, being down three to one is never good. Um, you know, we're, we're still playing in Cleveland. Right. So we have to win the next game in Cleveland and win the next two in Boston. So it was, uh, you know, like Ryan Garko, you know, we were just kind of not with our heads down because we know how tough, you know, Cleveland had a pretty, a really, really good team that year. And we knew we were, you know, backs against the wall. But obviously you can't play this game with too much pressure on yourself or most of the time the outcome, the outcome won't be won't be good. And, um, you know, so we saw the comment, actually our, our travel secretary, uh, Jack McCormick, I think was the one that, that heard him saying that, you know, that the, it doesn't matter where we win, that the champagne tastes the same. <laughs> so they, they printed that, that sheet out and they put it in everybody's locker the next day. And we had that up in our locker pretty much all the way through that series, even at home. And so when we ended up winning, I mean, we were popping bottles and, spraying the champagne all over the place and we're just like hey gargo it tastes better in boston baby you know so yeah. it was uh it was good man it was it definitely it definitely turned us on and uh we got it done that's funny because when i was talking to bronson about 2004 they're they're obviously down 3-0 and you know damon had that infamous quote saying you know we're we're just a bunch of idiots and then yeah. Apparently, Gary Sheffield said something like, yeah, they are a bunch of idiots. And they yeah. did the same thing. They printed it out, put it in everyone's locker. Who's behind that? It's, I'm telling you, man, it's, you know, karma. People say karma. You know, it, 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 it does happen, man. You know, you can't, <laughs> you can't get the baseball gods mad. And, you know, right. and, you know that, I mean, it might have triggered a lot of us, you know, Garko saying that, especially in a, you know, they're up three to one. They're comfortable. They, they think they got it. And. And I'm not saying that guys went in with a different routine. I mean, I think guys just mentally say, you know what, let's just leave it on the field, and that's what we did. Mm -hmm, exactly. So, you know, back to you specifically as far as 07 goes, like, you know, it was a very strong bullpen, like a lot of depth, um, and Jihad Papelbon, who was coming off, what was it, like a .92 ERA season yeah. or something. So he was a solidified closer, but... <laughs> Would you say kind of like the setup role was up for grabs in a sense? Like, I don't think anyone was solidified in that role before season. It was kind of anyone's game. And I feel like it was you coming up from the minors and Hideki Okajima, who was kind of, you know, Dice K's buddy coming over. What wasn't expected yeah. to do much. And you guys kind of took advantage, uh, you know, taking those seventh and eighth inning roles. Would you say that's right? Yeah, 07 was uh, the beginning. I mean, I started the season in AAA, right. which, I mean, I came into spring training in great shape. I, I don't even think I gave up a run. So, you know, after having big league experience in 05 and 06 and then 07 comes around, I'm like, you know, if I if I pitch well in spring training, which that's what's supposed to happen, I have a spot in the bullpen. And it didn't turn out that way. I think I gave up two hits all spring. I pitched really well. And all of a sudden, I get the call in the office, and I'm thinking that I'm, they're telling me that I made the team. Right. And they, and they told me that they decided to go with three lefties. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's when Okajima was there. Uh, J.C. Romero. J.C. Romero and Javi Lopez, I right. think, were there. And then Mike Timlin, he ended up taking a comebacker off his hand and split his nail open. So he started on the DL. So I'm like, okay, so why not? Instead of keeping the three lefties, give me that spot. And so they decided to go with three lefties. What hurts a little bit, or hurt me a little bit. And I went down to AAA, not with the best attitude. I was a little upset. But, right. you know, once I got things together in AAA, you know, 
I ended up, you know, changing my attitude. I was a little upset at the beginning. Um, you know, obviously came back up. And, you know, but having, you know, Okajima and myself, the good thing about what we had is obviously Papavon was a closer, but we had Kyle Snyder. We had Javi Lopez. We had guys, a lot of guys can throw that seventh or eighth inning, no problem. Right. And, but for the most part, once we showed that we, that we can do that role, depending on the lineup, Oki would come in and stop the fire in the seventh, and then I would throw the eighth. Or I would come in in the seventh and stop the fire, and then depending on the lineup, Oki would throw the eighth. Because I was the primary setup guy for for a while there with Oki, and but the ability of me being able to get righties and lefties out was huge on my part. But you know, back then, you know, middle relievers really didn't get that much credit back in the day. You know, now now you see teams don't want to go through the lineup with the same pitcher as a starter. You don't want right. they don't want to go three times through the lineup. So now. Middle relievers that can go multiple innings are very, very important. And mm-hmm. now you see bigger bigger contracts for guys like that. Because back then, they weren't giving out any big contracts to, you know, middle relievers like myself. Unless you were a starter or a closer, that's where all the money was. Right. And, you know, but now, you know, obviously they changed the rules with the, the three batter minimum and all this stuff in effect. You know, it affects a lot of guys. You know, I bring up Javi Lopez was was a great submarine guy that we used to have, if you remember him. Yeah, lefty you know, specialist. They didn't throw very hard, but he was a left-on-left specialist for most of the time. Like, now, how would he? How would this affect him today? You exactly. Know I mean? That's like, what I think when I see this uh, rule. Uh, a lot of guys, if, don't get me wrong, like, I, I, there was multiple times where I came in and gave up a hit to my first guy, and then I see Tito coming out and taking me out of the game, and I'm like, oh, man, it sucks. But, but now they can't do that. Right. You know, now you have to face three hitters. So, you know, it's, the game's a little different today, but but it was, uh, you know, being able to be the setup guy with Okajima and the bullpen that we had, I, I would put that bullpen up against any bullpen. That's awesome. I agree. So, you know, looking back, just like in retrospect, what are kind of like the best memories or, or stories that you have from that season? Well, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's like I said, man, for, for the most part, just having guys, you know, winning was was great. I mean, obviously, we didn't clinch the division mm-hmm. until, like, I want to say five games left in the season. Like, that's pretty good because you, you're going into the postseason ready. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not clinch, like, a month in advance. Like you, like, you see today, like, some teams, like, I see that they're already out of it, like, come middle of August. And I'm like, how does that happen? Right. You know? We clinched like five games left in the season, which got us ready for the, you know, for the playoffs. But, you know, there's a lot of memories, man. Like, for me, being able to walk into Fenway and just be in that clubhouse and, you know, I mean, I, I have, you know, six years or whatever it was. But every time I walked in and I'm looking, I'm talking to David or I'm sitting on Manny Ramirez's massage chair at a, in his own little locker section. <laughs> like Veritek, you know, joking with Veritek and Josh Beckett and Kurt Schilling. I'm like, dude, these, some of these guys might be future Hall of Famers and. So I always felt like a rookie in the clubhouse, even though I had, I wasn't a rookie anymore. But right. just being around those guys was is the thing that I missed the most. But I think it was what made it what made it fun was all the different personalities. I mean, if something was wrong, David would come in and take the mic in the clubhouse and just pump everybody up. Just everybody clicked. Everybody, you know, had a great time. And then obviously, like I said, making it to the postseason is what you want. But winning the whole thing is. It's the biggest thing, the biggest prize you can get out of working so hard and being away from your family, like I said. And it's, uh, you know, it's a privilege to be able to to be around a bunch of guys like that. That's awesome, man. Um, so obviously, being a World Series champion and the hometown kid, um, 
you know, now that you're retired and out of baseball, I'm sure you're around all the time doing guest appearances and all that. Can you tell me kind of what you're doing with, you know, philanthropic stuff? Uh, yeah, man. It's, uh, you know, the Red Sox have been really, really good, and, and they're happy that I'm retired because now, you know, I was still <laughs> playing independent ball a few years ago, trying to make a comeback. Right. I had some stuff done to my shoulder. I was still trying to come back. You know, that's the hardest thing is when – you feel like you still have it and you have to walk away. Uh-huh. And, uh, I mean, obviously now I'm a sports analyst with Nesson, yeah. um, which is pretty cool. And But the Red Sox, like, I talked to the front office people, especially this uh, uh, Sherry Rosenberg. She's, she's the one that keeps me busy in the offseason now, hmm. like, with appearances and stuff like that. And, I mean, they've been awesome. I mean, whether it's an appearance at Fenway or at the souvenir shop or, or at a VA hospital or what, or something with the kids or Dana-Farber, like, now that they know I'm, I'm retired, I'm the local boy. So when, even <laughs> when I played, I was the kid that was always around that could do all these appearances during right. the winter. You know, so now that I'm retired and I'm still a local boy, they still <laughs> treat me like a, like I'm still playing, and you know I get to go to Fenway whenever I want. And it's uh, you know it's it's a great organization. Awesome. And can you kind of explain your role with them? I've seen you post game, spring training, and whatnot. How do you like you know covering the team with Nesson? Uh, it's a different different side of the game. Uh, you know, it's because uh, I remember as a player, you know, they actually flew me out of spring training last year, you know, and I'm in the clubhouse and I'm looking at the players. I saw, you know, I'm talking to Petey, you know, talking about his knee and I'm looking around and then all of a sudden, like nobody's really talking and the media is just kind of standing around. And as a player, I hated when the media was in the in the clubhouses looking for a story. You right. Know? And then I'm standing there just staring at people, and I'm like, "Man, I'm part of the media now." Uh-oh. You know, it's kind of it's kind of weird. Yeah. But uh, but I like it, man. It's uh, it keeps me involved in the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously now I get a chance to see who's coming up in the Red Sox organization. Like I need to pay a little more attention, you know, to what's going on. And and like I said, I get to go to Fenway. You know, they do the po- uh, pregame right in front of the stadium. Uh, Post game is in Watertown, not too far, and I live here in the city, so. It kind of keeps me at home, and I don't have to travel anywhere far anymore, which is, you know, which is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, I still got a little bit to learn, but, I mean, they said I'm doing great on this. And, and, you know, but like I said, it keeps me involved in the game, and I get to go to Fenway and do stuff with the players. And and when they see me in the clubhouse, they still react with me like I'm still a player, which is pretty cool. That's great. Yeah, we think you're doing a great job. I saw you, uh, you basically called E-Rod's breakout season last year, and it ended up coming true. No, I know it's uh, you know I'm just hoping he he's gonna be the ace right now with Chris Sale going down. He needs to and Price out. Know, we need him. I know it's I, I didn't I didn't really understand the whole Price deal, but I mean, Erod definitely has the tools to have a long career with Boston and you know make a lot of money. And if he stays healthy or even just does comes a little bit close to what he did last year, I think he'll be fine. Right. Do you think, uh, like, about the price deal, do you not understand, like, paying part of his no, salary or just parting with them altogether? No, no. Well, the thing is, obviously, they they were trying to, you know, bring the salary down a little bit, which I understand. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mookie Betts, I mean, the Red Sox offered him $300 million and, you know, the way the money is today in baseball, like, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say he's not, he's not right for taking not taking that contract, but... I mean, baseball is what it is. He wants to be the one of the highest paid players in the game. Mm. I understood Mookie even, but the way the rotation is with Chris O hasn't been healthy all uh, since he's been in Boston. Really, I mean, I love him. He's when he's on the mound and he's healthy. He's one of the best 
unbelievable pitches to watch. Like he dominates the game, makes it look like a video game. Hmm. Uh, you know, you had Evaldi coming back. You know, David Price figured out how to pitch in Boston. I know he had a couple of injuries last year, but he started off well before he got hurt. Right. So you know, going into spring training this year with a questionable Chris Sale, Evaldi. You know, is he going to be a hundred percent? David Price, which he's made the adjustment. E. Rock coming off his best year of his career, and then you do this deal. And you send David Price, and now Chris Sale goes down, and now you pretty much have two starters. Yeah, seriously, we're thin. You know, so now, so now you're banking on guys like Weber and and Brian Johnson to step up and stuff like Colin that. Colin McHugh, so a, who's coming off a broken elbow, or not broken, I mean. but so torn. It was a lot of questions. I mean, not for nothing, but you know, this all this this crisis that's going on right now. I only see it being a little beneficial for the Red Sox, obviously. Not to anybody to get sick or everybody around the world. Hopefully, this just leaves us tomorrow. Right. But you know, Chris still having this time. You know, just had Tommy John. It's a it's more of a layoff without baseball, so it kind of helps everybody. The only thing is that when baseball does resume, <laughs> I mean, you got Chavis swinging a wiffle ball bat. Is that going to be the same as swinging? <laughs> and he's hitting wiffle ball ball like wiffle balls in his backyard or something like that. Is it going to be how, how they going to be able to turn it up if the season starts tomorrow? Yeah, it's a tough thing to manage, you know, not just in baseball around the world. Like, it's, it's yeah, tough it's to an, put everything on hold and start back and up. It's a, and it's every sport, but I get it. But it's a, you know, it's a tough time, but I know, you know, people are trying to do the right thing, and they, we just need to, you know, I'm locked in the house. The kids are doing all their homework on the computers right now. And right. My wife is, like, working out here in the house, which, you know, drives me nuts, <laughs> jumping around. <laughs> She's working out right now, actually, which is funny. But funny. Um, but it's, you know, just trying to get through it, man. Yeah, exactly. I had some listeners or people that follow me on Twitter and Instagram ask some questions for you. So one I had was, um, of all your key relief appearances, what would you say is most memorable in your mind? Well, for me, I think it would be we are facing the Yankees at home. And I think it was the first time I faced the Yankees at home. And I came in, I think I, I might have, did I come in after Pavlovon? Because Pavlovon was a starter back in the day. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. And like to make sure, I don't remember who started the game, but I came in and I came in to face uh, Derek Jeter. And, you know, to me, Derek, I mean, obviously Derek Jeter, Hall of Famer. Right. It's, you know, so I come in and. And I strike out, and I strike him out. But it was, you know, it was a good at bat. You know, Jeter was always the guy you try to pitch him inside, but he could shoot and hit a homer and wrap it around Pesky's pole like it was nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was a good at bat. But my most memorable strikeout, or one of the, my favorite strikeouts, was being able to strike out Derek Jeter because it's, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, the fans went crazy, and I mean that was definitely, definitely one of my best strikeouts of my career. Yeah, I'd remember that and for it, sure. And it was like it was like ninety nine on the gun too. I found it, so it was, really? it was actually pretty good. Yeah, nice. Um, and then another one I have, you know, we see Papelbon dancing on the field with the you know beer case over his head and whatnot. Um, you know, from a player's perspective, how can you say um, what a different individual and fun guy to have in the clubhouse he was? Well, the thing is, if you ever talk to him, he you might he makes himself sound like he's the smartest guy in the world but mm-hmm. he's really just a dumb kid from mississippi <laughs> and you know and he uh 
I mean, we came up in the minors together. We hung out a lot. And, I mean, the guy, he had it, man. He he never backed down from nobody. Like, he was, like you said, I mean, he, he came out of that clubhouse that day with the Bud Light bought over his head. He, he wanted to come out a little worse than what he had on. <laughs> and they had to tackle That would have been like, something. It would have been, it was, it might have been a decent exposure if he went out there the way he really wanted to. <laughs> but, uh, but, I mean, he was, uh, he's definitely one of the fun personalities in the clubhouse. I mean, he came in and shut the door for us every single time he could yep. and did for most of the time. And, uh, you know, I think, I still think he's, if not, one of the best closers his boss has ever had. That's awesome. So, I think that that's all we got, Manny. Thanks so much for coming in. And, uh, Anytime, man. If you need me again, just let me know, and we'll do this whenever you want, man. I yeah. got, I, we ain't got nothing to do right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool, man. I'll let you know. Have a good right, one. Thanks, brother. Appreciate Peace. it. Thank you.